Okay, so um, I need a clicker. We got up here without the clicker. All right, so in my free time back in Austin, Texas, uh, I get bored and I go out to my garage and usually I take something apart and then I try to put it back together again. Uh, normally I fail, so I just have a lot of parts right, uh, lying around. Any of you have seen anything that I do, then you must know I do successfully get things together, but sometimes I don't. And so tonight I thought I would talk about some of the things that I uh, made out of just parts. And these parts to me represent a concept of divergent energy. Right? So divergent is a word that means, in English, it's uh, two very different things. So, um, yeah, just after a long day and the lunch wine is winding down now, I'm going to talk about physics. <laughs> That's a great idea. <laughs> All right, let's get my slides up and we'll, we'll, we'll talk about physics. Okay? The first thing I want to talk about is one of the things I have sitting in my garage and it's a speaker in a box. Okay, I have a speaker in a box. It's one of my favorite things. Uh, I put it in that box, and I have a 600-watt amp because 500 watts isn't enough. You need to have 600 watts. And I have cornstarch. And every now and then I get bored, and I put them all together. It looks something like this. And the cornstarch goes on the speaker, and the speaker probably came out of a radio that doesn't work anymore. So here's its second life. And the next thing we do is we plug the speaker into the amp, and then we have to find some very inspirational music to cornstarch, which is usually Guns and Roses. like this. There's a couple things going on here that when I first watched the video back, I was like, wait a second, that's not right. Because you all know what a speaker looks like. It's a cone with a big round dome in the center. And as you're watching this video, and it's not a trick, all of the cornstarch is at the highest part of the cone. It's very counterintuitive. When you add energy to these particles, you very quickly learn what strong and weak forces are in the universe. Gravity is a weak force. Magnetism is a strong force. And here we'll see it more pronounced. Right now it's playing a tone that if you heard it, it'd be annoying. It goes like this. See, now you heard it. It was annoying. But notice how, how this cornstarch is like just trying to go right up on the top of the speaker cone. So it's really divergent energy here. At some point, maybe there'll be a point to this. I'm not sure. So the next thing I like to do, and this is a classic thing you do in grade school, um, if you went to my grade school, is add some water. And when you add the right amount of water to cornstarch, you make something called a non-Newtonian fluid. So if you hit it hard, it behaves like it's solid. And if you hit it soft, it behaves like a liquid, which is kind of the opposite of everything that 
apple on the head, Newton tried to teach us about a substance. And that makes it really fun when you add energy to it. Now, I'm going to add the energy once again that is very annoying. So it'll go And I think it's rather surprising. It doesn't really look anything like the cornstarch of before. It looks very different. It looks very organic, almost like little alien creatures trying to climb to their freedom. So this is a Saturday evening for me. (laughs) Physics, everyone else is watching Doctor Who, and I... Oh, that's a different group of people even. I don't know, maybe they're watching football or something, but I'm watching this go on, and here they go, creeping and crawling. I mean, it's you could hard-press to get this in CG to look any more creepy, and uh, it reminds me of me like in Prometheus. The uh... By the way, when we're drinking later, ask me about Prometheus. I will burn like 20 minutes of your evening. Okay, so this is really interesting. You add the energy to this non-Newtonian fluid, and rather than get something rather mechanical or even defying gravity, you get something very organic out of something that is just particles. Okay, here's another one. Um, uh, take, uh, we have this great place in Austin where we can rent microphones. So I rented eight of them, and I put them around my living room, and I got an eight-track recorder, and I got an iPhone, and I used it to play Katy Perry. Actually, I'm about to say all of this again, so I'll just be quiet. Hello, everyone, and all the microphones. I hope you can hear me well. My name is Jared Dicklin, and let's play a game called Find the iPhone. It's going to be, like, warm or colder, so I thought for fun we would use Katy Perry's Hot and Cold. Okay, so you guys understand the game hot and cold, warmer, colder? You're getting warmer, you're getting warmer, you're getting... So I just going to walk around the room with the microphone, with the iPhone, playing Katy Perry, hot and cold, for pretty much no other reason than the song is completely awesome. And um, everyone shares that opinion, by the way. And you can see the... The size of Katy Perry is indicating the energy transfer at that point of the microphone. The microphone is really doing nothing more but measuring the energy of the particles right there. And here, I'm going to take that energy, I'm going to plot it out over time around each microphone. And what gets kind of fascinating to me here um, is that you can suddenly see that Katy Perry does not just a mean pop song, but she could make a pretty nice tapestry as well. And if you look closely, red is the color of the hottest, so the highest sound, and green is the coldest sound. So if you concentrate for a while, you can actually see the moments in time where it was the closest to such a microphone. And so... Um, This is something that occupies some of my time. Um, (laughs) Katy Perry and uh, uh, Adobe Flash and sound visualizations are really fascinating things to me. Um, And maybe this will all have a point at some point. All right, so another thing that I have 
is very different is um, speakers again and propane. And I have some of that with me here right now. This has become a bit of a worldwide phenomenon and I'm gonna show it to you now and I'm gonna then tell you the rest of the story that I don't think anyone's quite getting as they walk around building their Rubens tubes and putting them on YouTube. Um, they're not like cat videos, but if you search Rubens tube on YouTube, you will get quite a few of them. All right, so let's see. We've got to wait a moment for the gas. That's what I was listening for. There's a safety click that we don't want to happen. Ah, we got one little... Ah. I love that moment. Okay, we're going to let it fill up and gain some pressure. And the next thing we're going to do is, well, something I do a lot of. We're going to introduce energy in the form of sound. And now we're going to tune that sound till we find a really resonant spot. Okay. There is air above here. And butane wants to combust at a very specific air and fuel mixture. That's called stoichiometry. And the sound is compressing the air here, and it's rarefacting the air here. That's a fancy word for spreading it apart. And what that does is it provides more oxygen for this gas to burn and less oxygen for this gas to burn. And it creates a sine curve in fire. Okay? And sine curves are fun. You can see the things that we call frequencies every time we hit a resonant spot. Right? Although in nature, it's all waveforms. The frequencies would be measuring the distance between the compressed and the uncompressed air. Now, that was a very simple frequency. In fact, we call them a pure tone. This is a more complex frequency. And it's done by an artist named Jeff Farina. gets a little, now you're seeing it. So these are more complex waveforms. As the waveforms travel through the air, they create constructive and destructive interference. They're not sine curves anymore, and eventually they're hitting your ears, right? Let's play one more real quick. Something with more energy. Now we're in Romania. That's it. <laughs> we're even over when need to get us pressure. Bass, by the way, is a waveform that's almost three feet long, which is why it's flushing all the gas nearly out of this device. And <laughs> so we better cut that off and play something quiet again. We've just lost our gas pressure. It'll come back. 
All right, so now while this something quieter is playing, let me tell you the rest of the story. This Rubens tube was invented in 1905 as an apparatus. In 1905, the world didn't know whether to describe sound as waves or particles. They also didn't know whether to describe electricity or light in that matter. It was a heavy debate at the time. Well, Heinrich Rubin wanted to prove that it could be both, that it was actually particles and by their energetic compression and di distance from each other, it was actually creating a waveform. So he created a body of mathematics that would predict in a substance of a given density what a waveform of a given energy would look like. But how do you believe the mathematics? It's just a model of sound. Well, you find a gas with an estoichiometry that allows you to see the waveform. You then calculate the sound pressure, the gas pressure, use your math, and predict what the outcome will be with the flames. And that's what he did. And he was right. And he published it, and he brought it to the the whole German physics community in their great gathering and he presented it and it was very exciting because suddenly we had more evidence that particles and waves were both one. And then this young upstart physicist comes up after him and presents his first idea about what he called a special theory of gravity. <laughs> his name was Einstein. <laughs> So we know all about Einstein, and we know nothing about Heinrich Rubin, right? Sorry about that. And, but we owe a lot in the modern world to Heinrich Rubin because he could describe sound with math. You can put that another way, with numbers, digitally, which led eventually to a whole body of mathematics that allowed us to sample sound, reproduce it, and record it in things like this. So in a lot of ways, you're looking at the first iPod. And I think it's beautiful. And that's why I play with divergent energy. <laughs> Thank you. I'm going to leave you with two more thoughts. I probably should end there, but I never end when I should. Ask me about Prometheus. <laughs> we always think of sine curves because we were taught when we were young that sine curves looked like this. Of course, that's not true. That's a mathematical description. They actually go in all directions at once. That guy wasn't the only one that heard the music coming out of this speaker. So this is another apparatus created by Harold Daw, who was my scoutmaster when I was a young boy, which is how I got into things like this. So I play it for you in homage to him, but also so you can see something really curious. This is that same song, Slurpee. And I'm gonna be quiet for a little bit and really focus in Look for patterns. Your brain is really good at finding patterns, so look for them.
see that one where the corners keep turning up? Right there. What you're seeing is a sine curve in two dimensions. They're called the eigenmodes. Now, a physicist will argue with me here, but for the layperson, that's a good enough description. Just keep that in mind that things are not always what you're told they are. Often they have a lot more depth and dimension to them. Usually that dimension is running in exact opposite direction than the one you've been taught. So that leaves me with this last thought. Anytime we're here at a conference about creativity, inspiration, and learning things. When you find yourself trapped, you're going to first need some energy and then look in the exact opposite direction. This is a real useful tool of divergent energy. So your last physics lesson is this. I've been playing with it over there in the corner. This is phosphorescence, also known as glow in the dark, <laughs> which is a better way of saying it. Phosphorescence is a really interesting concept. The atoms in the substance here, they're kind of salts and metals, have a lot of electrons. And those electrons are so numerous that they've found themselves orbiting in pairs. But not all of them. There's not a room for all of them. So a number of them are orbiting pairs, and a bunch of them are just kind of going in random directions. When you hit them with light, the photons add just enough outside energy to raise them in order, as they say, to where three of them begin circling together. And that takes up, sucks up all those free electronics and it puts them all in this harmony where they're all in a third order, right? And then you take the light away. And they try really hard. And then every now and then they get a little out of rhythm and they separate, and then when they separate, it pops off a photon, which is light, right? And that happens at a decaying rate, so you see the light come back to you and decay. I don't think that is too different from what's happening here today and tomorrow. We're here, we're getting a bunch of outside energy, and then we're going to leave, and we will release that energy as inspiration for the rest of the year and that's why these things are really great. It's why I keep coming to them. And I would really hope to talk to all of you when we're drinking and listening to music. And I will talk to you again tomorrow night. It's going to be way more serious than this. Thank you.